0: The Terrifying Lies Podcast, with music and stories by Craig Naibo. Welcome to the third midnight episode of the Terrifying Lies Podcast. For tonight, I thought I'd share something a bit different with you. In past midnight episodes, I've had brilliant guests on the show, such as Victor Frankenstein and William Dyer. That'll not change tonight, but rather than bring on a fictional character, I thought I'd give some of my author friends a chance to read some of their own work, but in a non-conventional way. A while ago, the Rust Monster Band, the band I am fortunate enough to be a member of, landed on a cool idea. We thought it would be great to bring a few authors into our rehearsal space and let them read original stories while the band composes a soundtrack right there on the fly. Without knowing so much as the story's titles, we would just dive right in and go. We named this project The Freestyle Gargoyles. We even set up a bunch of chairs and invited an audience in to watch a couple of these sessions. Anyone who's ever participated as an author or musician in one of these projects, by default, joins the group and becomes a Freestyle Gargoyle. I'm going to play two of my favorite performances from these wonderful nights. First, I'll give you internationally best-selling author Michael Brent Collings' reading of his story, Halloween Treats, written specifically for the Freestyle Gargoyles. Second, you'll hear Scott Tarbett with his performance of Tombstone. Remember, if the music sounds a bit chaotic, we were making it up on the fly. The following performances include musicians Keith Moon, Mark Robinette, Larry Nibo, Rob Griffin, Aaron Osminsky, Rick Neff, Dan Nobles, and myself as the conductor. I now present... The Freestyle Gargoyles, with Michael Brent Collings performing Halloween Treats.
1: A lot of people don't believe in Halloween. Those people are wrong. A lot of people do believe in Halloween. They're wrong too. See, the ones who believe, believe it is all candy, fun. A night to dress up like a ghost or an action figure if you're a kid. A night to dress up like some oversexed gal or a guy with a midlife crisis if you're all grown. It's a night to party, a night to play, a night to pretend you're scared, then go home and snuggle up to your lover or to snuggle up to a big pile of candy, depending on your age and uh, <laughs> personal preferences that's all wrong it's wrong, wrong, wrong as for those who don't even believe in Halloween I'm gonna rethink my words those folks ain't just wrong they're full tilt stupid but neither of them Neither the ones who believe, nor the ones who don't Neither of them really know Not like I do Not like the poor soul what come before me I growed up in a cabin in the woods I know, I know It's a been there, done that stereotype But it's truth I growed up without much in the way of money But with plenty of love Now the first one was pause doing the second one was Ma's good work. Lord bless her. Pa left for a smoke and a drink when I was eight. And by the time I was ten, I realized he probably wasn't coming back. Still, I got excited every time I heard the door ring. Still do, sometimes. No, wait, that's wrong. I never get excited no more because what if... Wait, stop. Stop. Story's running away with me. So there I am in a cabin, middle of nowheres, and nothing to eat a lot of days, but whatever Ma could hunt and skin and stew. Still, we were happy, never had much in the way of birthdays or presents under no Christmas trees, but we did have a little, and what little we did have were enough, because it was from Ma, and Ma was a true saint, one of them blessed souls who give all they got and dig deep and find a little more to pass out. And one thing she always took care to save up for were Halloween. Not much, but she always left a couple of candies in a bucket outside the door, carved her a jack o' lantern, put a candle in it. One she made herself and a sign over them all that said, Take only one, please share. Mama weren't much of a speller, but she had a big heart. Them things were always out there, always waiting. And never you mind that no one never came to our door. We was too far in the middle of nowhere for any of the city kids to venture out. She'd always put that pumpkin and that candle and that candy with that sign right outside our door. She'd wait for someone to ring the triangle we had hanging out on the porch. tink a link a And when it never happened, me and her would split the proceeds at the end of the night. I grew up there. Ma died there. I growed some more, and every Halloween, even when I were 50 and 60 years young. (laughs) That joke kills me every time. I'd put out the candle and the pumpkin and the candy and the sign. Ma would have wanted it that way. Only thing I ever did hate her for, making me love her so much I put them things out. I wonder every year when I'm hunched over in the closet praying for my life. If and I hadn't put them things out, if it all wouldn't have happened, but it did. Lordy, yes, it did. I was putting on to bed that night, that Halloween night. Had my pajamas on and were ready to go put out the candle, bring in the pumpkin so as I could eat it later, take down the sign, and eat the candy. The triangle sounded tinkling a ling for a second, I plumb forgot what to do, it just froze like a flying honey. Then I went to the door, opened it. A vampire were waiting for me. My first thought was that this kid were too old to be trick-or-treating and I feared to lay some godly fe- and I fixed to lay some godly fear into him. Then I stopped and squinted. There were only the light of the pumpkin candle, but I'd seen blood before. Skin too many squirrels not to know it. And that stuff running in rivers down his chin, soaking his white collar till it were red as sunrise. It were real. I thunk at first it were a madman come to kill me. Then he smiled. And I could have thunk that those teeth were fakes, but when he smiled, he he faded. Didn't disappear, not exactly, but suddenly I could see the lightning bugs in the trees behind him, could see through him the dimmer shadows of those bugs. When he come back to full solid, he were closer to standing right beside me, smiling that pointy smile, breathing cold breath all over me, cold, and it stunk too, stunk like he'd been eating raw meat, and hadn't bothered brushing his teeth none. Thank you for the treat he said, and only then noted he were holding one of the candies I put out, a little miniature chocolate bar, to be sure to keep them coming. His voice was slick, sounded like a TV show I saw once, waiting in the free clinic to have a busted leg looked at, a fine gent from England or somewhere exotic like that. And then he were gone, not walked away, not run off, just gone. I closed it, closed the door, and no sooner did it shut than there came a knock. Not the the triangle this time, a full-fisted pounding on the thin wood that was all between me and the night. I opened it. It were the Wolfman. Not, not like in the movies, though. He were something different. Can't, can't explain except to say I, I had a rabid dog that I had to put down once. The thing were just like that, only standing on hind legs, looking down on me from a bloody muzzle a good seven feet up. He had a piece of candy, too. He growled something, sounded a bit like thanks, and then loped off into the night. I close the door. The triangle this time. Tink-a-ling-a-ling. I think about not answering, Lordy yes, but then I think about how they all said thank ye. And what if I were thought of as rude? Something deep inside me said that'd be a mistake. This time I were a thing that looked already dead, skin hanging off its ribs holes where I could see bone and gristle and rotted muscle the thing had no, I- no mouth, its lower jaw were just gone like someone something tore them right off it had a piece of candy didn't say nothing this one, no mouth to speak of <laughs> just nodded and shambled away in the same direction the werewolf done another monster, another Ghoul, ghost, goblin, all of them and more, all holding candy, all saying thanks. At least that's what we're able to talk. So why are you all afeared? Some of you might say. They didn't do nothing, sounds like a lark. Well, putting aside the blood and bones and mangled flesh, there were the last visit. It were a little boy, beautiful, blonde hair, blue eyes. I about fell over myself telling him, come in, come in, ain't safe out there. But the little boy didn't come. And I noted then that there were chains coming from his back. I couldn't see them wrapped around him though. And suddenly like I knew that if I done looked behind him, them chains would have been sprouting right from the skin itself. The chains were some dozen or so in number and they led back into the dark, but not too far and not far enough, because I could see. I could see what were on them. Each one held a chunk of meat, an arm, a leg, a chest, a head. The head, the head were screaming, the quiet scream of the dead mouth open in this forever O that marked a painful death and may have something even worse after death i looked at the child's hand the hand where every ghoul every goblin had held a bit of chocolate or a piece of caramel the hand were empty i looked at the bucket and it were empty i looked back at the child his eyes were dark lines in the night. His mouth just a slit in that beautiful face. He were angry. Then he smiled, and somehow the smile were even worse. No matter, he said, and his voice were as pretty as he were. More so, the sound of everything beautiful and dangerous. He twitched, and the chains jingled. I have my own treats Then he leaned in close to me Close enough I could feel the cold coming off of him But I'll be sure to bring you a trick I didn't think twice Just swung my door shut in his face Then run to my gun and grabbed it And then kept on a running Until I was shut up tight in my closet Nothing happened But now I wait, long years have gone by and never did the ghosts or ghoulies come back again but they will, I know they will. I put out more candy than ever, each year enough to fill the bowl to overflowing but each year it's still that full at the end and I bring it in and pack it away until next year. I don't need it no more, that me is gone. I know they're coming. Last year, the candy were there, but my sign was torn. Please share, take only one, had been ripped right in half. The halves were nailed to my door. Not with nails, though. They were hung there with something small and white, like the bones of a baby. Please share, and under it were written, we will. And under, take only one, in dark letters that curled my soul, we will take our one soon. Happy Halloween.
0: This has been the Freestyle Gargoyles with Michael Brent Collings performing Halloween Treats. And now for the Freestyle Gargoyles with Scott Tarbett performing Tombstone.
2: get technical about it but not destructive oh no sir i'm building me a rock house right here in east texas where them witches burnt my great granddaddy's house my great daddy's wooden house this stone house is my tombstone ain't nobody alive in it but me it stands above my grave. This young feller, he come out from New York City to find out my story and here's part of what I told him. Some highfalutin oil company geologist got to my granddaughter at a fancy party there in town and told her she'd be rich. If she talked me into the signing the lease for the mineral rights, she convinced her mama, and even though I ain't heard nothing from neither one of them for the better part of two years, they started riding out all the way out to the farm from town every Sunday near eight miles. Now, that was a lot further for motor cars. You know, you New York City boy like you, thinks a long walk is down to the corner for the newspaper. An eight-mile buggy ride is, is a long ways. I ain't saying it wasn't a long way back in the day, but then we didn't know no better. Anyways, when them women got the oil fever, they got to looking at the half of the farm on the other side of the creek where the old-growth forest is and the the greed just sunk right into them. All the, all the neighbors are selling their mineral rights grandfather come the drum beat week after week. Papa, all the neighbors are selling their timber to be clear cut. Don't fret over trees, Papa. They're just plants. They'll grow back, she'd say. Yeah, maybe someday after we're all dead and gone. Well, dead anyways. Now, I ain't a stupid man. Back in them days, I washed my pennies. I had to and and watched for ways to make more. Another mule would have helped, maybe a hired man now that I was 70 years old and slowed down some, but I watched my neighbors sell their oil rights. The drillers would swoop in, cut roads through the trees, spill drilling mud and chemicals and waste oil all over the ground, kill every good plant and let weeds come back up instead. Now the owner, he'd get a few thousand dollars, maybe build him a house, maybe by his wife something purdy, but sooner or later he was right back to where he was before, a dirt farmer scratching on ugly, torn up, no good land. Them scars ain't never healed. I owe the land more than that. And then what sold their timber was worse off yet. I, I don't if you don't know if you ever seen clear-cut land boy, but it don't look like nothing more than an old mangy dog that mean boys has got hold of and shaved. Sorry than an underground cat. we will grant you the, na- the trees has come back on my neighbor's land but spindly shadows of their ancestors 90 years ago harvested and harvested again for pulp every decade or two all the stumps just left to rot so walking through the woods ain't walking through the woods no more it's climbing over one old stump after another but my my old growth trees is still there And now even the 60 acres I was farming when they killed me has 87-year-old trees on them. (laughs) I'm right proud of that. Grand old trees that's home to birds and deer and foxes and coyotes. No Texas cougars yet, but good Lord willing, someday we'll see them back again. Anyways. Very next time the girls come out from town, my granddaughter's husband, the banker boy with them. As soon as they settled on the porch of the old frame house that stood right here where I'm building my new stone house now, with lemonade nice and cold, with real life straight from my ice house, they started in on me. Papa, we feel that, and grandfather, it would be in your bench, and the heirs they did put on. Papa, grandfather, I don't know where they got they coming up with that, but it weren't for me or the missus, and that no-town banker boy spouting on about the investment opportunities and return on investment, blah, blah, blah. About how I could get electricity and indoor plumbing and be just dandy, modern, and comfortable made me right sick at my stomach. I finally stood up and I told him, now, y'all had your fine say and I do appreciate your opinions, but it's time for you to listen to me because I'm the one with the say-so. Ain't nobody gonna drill on my land. Didn't come back to the house till they was long gone. Now you can bet I've wondered ever since if they decide if that's when they decided they was gonna do it, if they had already decided, or if they cooked it up after they left that day. However they done it, it was over my dead body. All right. Turns out my daughter and granddaughter was living way high on the hog in town. They was running up bills my granddaughter's husband couldn't pay, even with his fancy salary from the bank. He took to swindling widows, and orphans and churches and anybody else that had let him. The whole house of cards was just about to crash in around his ears, and he found a way to lay on some cash quick, and getting rid of me was the way they figured to do it. When they come back the next Sunday They all acted all sugar plum sweet Like nothing never happened the week before Only they brought along a dinner Of my favorite fried chicken and lemonade Sweet buttermilk and rhubarb pie I never will know Exactly what bite had what poison in it Cause it all tasted right good to me But Ten minutes after I sat down to eat, my stomach tied up so tight that it doubled me right over. They sat there all cool and calm, just like y'all, cool as cucumbers, and watched me try to stand up. When I started to stew, they even scooched back so they wouldn't get splattered scoots back some more when I started to spew blood and keeled off my chair onto the kitchen floor. It took a long time to die, and it hurt real bad. It got harder and harder to breathe, and I fought harder and harder to keep on doing it till all of a sudden, Breathing weren't hard no more. Nothing hurt. Nothing. Not even my lumbago. I'm standing right there, right side of my own head, staring down at myself, all curled up in a ball. My poor dead face all wound up in a scream like my jaw was going to tear off. And I felt quite right sorry for that poor old wore out thing lying there all wore out and twisted and dead. Well, a granddaughter, she stood up and she started giving orders about cleaning up the mess and hauling me to my bed, sent her husband to town for the doctor with a story about how my poor old heart finally give out. Me standing there listening like I had no good sense, rooted to the floor like I was planted there already. Right after the banker was out the door, my daughter crossed the room for the mop and pail And doggone and she didn't walk right through me I meant to get out of the way, honest engine I did But somehow my, my mind weren't, just weren't right As if I just naturally expected her to see me and step around me Which of course she didn't, she walked right through me She walked right through me I didn't feel nothing but a push, like like a breeze went by. But she sure did. She let out a squeal and went to blubbin' about how somebody liked to pour ice water down her neck and it being such a hot night and all. Well, the granddaughter, she come over and she grab her mama by the elbow like a toddler and she give her a tongue lash like she was one to, but how she was just panicky and she better shut up before she had to give her a slap and give her something to cry about, because she better believe she would. Now, this might sound funny to hear, because it sure does sound funny to say, but hearing her talk to her own mama that way kind of tore something loose in me. You'd think... Getting killed with poison might've done it, but you'd be wrong. Hearing that girl sass her mama was my last straw. Now, now I never did hold with slapping a child, though maybe if I hadn't spared the rod so much with my daughter, she wouldn't have got spoiled so bad, and I might have stayed alive a few years more. And I probably wouldn't be here talking to you right now. I never had lifted a hand to my granddaughter in all her born days, but somehow something snapped, and I hauled back and I slapped her face. Hard. Didn't hurt me, but by gum, she sure enough felt it. Her head snapped around and she spun back all wild-eyed. She backhanded her mama, who was bawling too hard to know what was going on. Probably she thought somehow her mama had managed to smack her one, but no, no, it was me. So I did it again and again. And now i was starting to enjoy myself just a little because I finally spoke up. Ever since you was little, I know you was evil, you was an evil, hateful, spiteful child, up and I give her a good hard shove that spent her, sent her sprawling backwards right on that part of her that should have been paddled when she was little. She scrambled up and backed right out the kitchen door screaming like a banshee and she ran off out of the lights.
0: Since this episode has everything to do with the spoken word, I thought I would share a song that continues this theme. A while ago, I became interested in listening to remarkable speeches from history. I found, and either read or listened to, speeches from all perspectives. I tried to be impartial politically as I studied these great words from great men and women. I found it interesting that, should one listen to these speeches with an open mind, Leaving his or her political views behind, the speeches usually reflect the best in mankind. I became so interested in the rhythm and timbre of these speeches and the way that the orators delivered them that I selected ten of them and put them to music. I now present from my album, Beautiful Words, a song called Shirley Chisholm.
3: We must, as Americans, demand stature and size in our national leadership, fresh. Leadership which is open and leadership which is receptive to the problems of all Americans. I have faith in the American people. I believe that we are smart enough to correct our mistakes. I believe we are intelligent enough to recognize the talent, energy, and dedication which all Americans, including women and minorities, have to offer. I know from my travels to the cities and small towns of America that we have a vast potential which can and must be put to constructive use in getting this great nation together. I know that millions of Americans from all walks of life agree with me That leadership does not mean putting the air to the ground to follow public opinion, but to have the vision of what is necessary. We Americans are all fellow countrymen, one day confronting the judgment of history in our country. We are all God's children, and the will of each of us is as precious as the will of the most powerful general or corporate millionaire. My presence before you symbolizes a new era in American political history. I have always earnestly believed in the great potential of America. Our constitutional democracy will soon celebrate its 200th anniversary. Effective testimony to the longevity of our cherished Constitution and its unique Bill of Rights, which continues to give to the world an inspirational message of freedom and liberty. I do not believe that in 1972, the great majority of Americans will continue to harbor such narrow and petty prejudices. I am convinced that the American people are in a mood to discard the politics and the political personalities of the past. I believe that they will show in 1972 and thereafter that they intend to make independent judgments on the merits of a particular candidate build our neighborhoods and to make our cities wide, attractive and efficient and fundamentally where we live in the confidence that every man and every woman in America has that long-lasting opportunity to become all that was created of being such as is his ability. All of you who share this vision from New York to California from Wisconsin to Florida, our brothers and sisters on the road to national unity and a new America.
0: This has been the Terrifying Lies podcast. Please come again. You're welcome here.